Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 314. Athelred, are you ready? This show is ad-free due to member support, and as a way of thanking members for keeping the show independent, I offer members-only content, including extra episodes and rough transcripts. You can get instant access to all the members' extras by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com for about the price of a latte per month. And thank you very much to Silas, Lori, and Jane for signing up already. King Edward had died under mysterious and apparently violent circumstances. And the next in line for this incredibly bloody throne of England was his 12-year-old little brother, Athelred. Nowadays, you might hear of this boy who becomes king being called by another name, Ethelred the Unready. It's a good nickname, at least as far as unflattering nicknames go. And you probably imagine a king who is unprepared for his duty. And if you know a little bit more about what comes next, you likely have a picture in your head of a king who is unprepared for war. But this modern nickname wasn't actually the original one. And the original, as far as political smears go, was even better. The real moniker was Athelred Unred. And if you spoke Old English, you'd be laughing right now. Because Athelred Unred is actually a joke that relies on a pun. Directly translated, it means noble counseled, the not counseled. We have a king who is literally named after how well he was counseled, but whose nickname talks about how he's actually counseled really badly, or not counseled at all. And this implies that what goes wrong in Athelred's rule, and many things do go wrong, was the result of the king's inept counselors. It's a genuinely funny and actually fairly particular critique. And as a joke, it's fantastic. However, the final thing you should know is that nobody during his lifetime ever called the king Athelred Unred. In fact, Athelred Unred won't appear in the record for over a century. This nickname, which has now stuck with poor Athelred for nearly a thousand years, seems to be the result of scribes having a bit of fun at his expense about a century after his death. But if you remember anything from this, remember that this nickname, which was given to him in Norman times, was a reference to his counsel, not to his own personal readiness. Unread doesn't mean the same thing as unready. So rather than having our initial impression being colored by a nickname that wasn't developed until the Norman period, and which modern people thoroughly misunderstand anyway, instead, let's just come to the reign of King Athelred fresh. Oh, and one other thing that we should fix is that some older historians and certain Wikipedia editors keep insisting on calling him King Athelred II. And we're not going to be doing that either. He was King Athelred I of England. There was no previous king of England named Athelred. The closest that we get was King Athelred of Wessex. But that King Athelred was Alfred's older brother. So he was ruling long before England was even a twinkle in his baby brother's eye. Furthermore, whoever was put in charge of adding numbers to names was clearly drunk. Because we've just had a King Edward of England, and for some reason he didn't even get a number. So this whole numbering convention is ridiculous, but if we're going to have it, then by God, we're going to be consistent with it. So none of this Athelred II nonsense. He was King Athelred of England, the first of his name. And probably the last of his name, too. Unless Harry and Meghan get a wild hair with this next one, and then things go horribly wrong in Britain. So cool? Cool. 
Now, the truth is that King Athelred had enough problems on his plate without adding mean monikers and phantom numbers to his name. His brother, the king, had just been killed. And if we believe Burtfirth, the regicide occurred at the hands of thanes who were loyal to Athelred and his mother. That isn't exactly the stuff that makes for peaceful transitions of power. And there are strong indications that there was a significant power struggle that was taking place in the background for years at this point. Given this context, it's probably not all that surprising that a year had passed before Athelred could even get himself crowned king. Furthermore, before he was crowned, it's reported that they had to fetch his brother's body and give it a proper burial at Shaftesbury, which apparently must have been harder than they first assumed, because based on archaeological evidence, they grabbed the wrong body. Whoops. And this series of events has internal strife written all over them. The Chronicle doesn't directly say that there was any sort of political resistance to Athelred, but the scribes are notoriously unreliable. And I think the more important thing to note here is how the coronation was delayed until the matter of Edward's burial had been handled. I think it's quite likely that at least some members of the Watanagamot were more than a little disturbed by what had happened. And the factionalism that was plaguing England was growing deeper and more entrenched. Athelred was inheriting a kingdom that was once again in crisis. And it was about to get so much worse. But the reasons for why they got worse don't start with the shifty English nobles. What's coming to Britain is starting on the shores of Scandinavia. When we last left that region, King Hakon the Good, Athelstan's foster son, had spent large portions of his reign fighting against the sons of his half-brother, Eric Bloodaxe. But Hakon had learned well from his time with Athelstan, and no matter what his nephews and their Danish allies threw at him, he overcame it. He used tricks to make his forces look larger than they were. He carefully organized his army in order to best counter the attacks. Hakon proved himself an incredibly effective war leader and was rewarded for his efforts with victory after victory. And as for the sons of Eric Bloodaxe, their cost for this struggle was immense. Virtually every time they fought against Hakon, they lost a brother. Eventually, King Gorm the Old of Jutland, a fierce pagan king who claimed to be a descendant of Ragnar Lothrock, brought his forces to the field in support of the sons of Eric Bloodaxe, even though there are only three of them left now. But once again, King Hakon of Norway defeated them. Now, King Gorm the Old survived the exchange, and he returned home to yelling. But it wasn't long before Gorm died, and his son, Harald Gormson, took the throne. History doesn't remember him as Harald Gormson. They call him a different name. Harald Bluetooth, a name your phone commemorates every time you try and connect it to your car stereo. But unlike your phone, Harald Bluetooth was really effective. According to the Yellingstones, he won all of Denmark, which is why it's now thought that Gorm only ruled over Jutland. So Harald Bluetooth was out there kicking some butt. And meanwhile, the remaining sons of Eric Bloodaxe weren't giving up either. Sure, they'd lost a lot of battles, and a lot of brothers. But, as far as they were concerned, Uncle Hakon was sitting in their seat. And damn it, they had already called shotgun. So yet again, they attacked King Hakon. And yet again, they were fought off. But this time, in the fighting that had ensued, Hakon was injured, and he later succumbed to his wounds. And so at last, the eldest surviving son of Eric Bloodaxe and Gunhild, 
a man named Harald Greycloak, took the throne of Norway. But Norway had long been racked by internal struggles, and the manner of Harald's succession only added to the roiling crisis overwhelming the kingdom. And so almost immediately after Harald Greycloak seized the throne of Norway in 961, his ally, King Harald Bluetooth of Denmark, popped in for a visit. And Greycloak was in a tight spot. He had numerous rivals for the throne, and there were plenty of assorted nobles who just didn't like how this whole thing had shaken out. So a war with Denmark wasn't something that he would have survived right at this moment. And Bluetooth had clearly made this connection, and he'd come to negotiate. And sure enough, shortly after Bluetooth's trip, Greycloak agreed that Norway would be a vassal to the Danes which left Bluetooth free to pursue his ultimate desire to extend his power along the Baltic. And as for Greycloak, well, it seems like he was actually kind of his father's son. So rather than seeking support from his nobility, as Hakon and others had done, he instead set about slaying any nobles who might challenge his power. And apparently, it didn't matter if those nobles were from influential families or controlled large portions of territory. He even killed Sigurd, who was the son of an incredibly powerful noble named Hakon Jarl, who was a completely different Hakon than King Hakon the Good. Greycloak was employing brutal tactics, but they were undeniably effective, at least to a point. By eliminating some of his internal problems, Harald Greycloak had strengthened his position within the kingdom and within Scandinavia in general. And it's not hard to see what he was doing. Greycloak was positioning himself in a manner that would allow him to shake off Bluetooth and the Danes, and eventually reign Norway with a free hand. And in time, it appears that he accomplished exactly that. But there was a problem. The tactics that earned him this success had also earned him a lot of enemies. One of them was Harold Bluetooth himself, obviously. But there were also people within Norway who weren't happy with how it went down either. You see... When Greycloak had Sigurd Hackinson killed, he neglected to kill his son as well. And that son of Sigurd, by the way, was confusingly named Hakon as well. We got a lot of Hakons here. And now we have Hakon Sigurdsson, who was the son of Sigurd Hackinson. I bet right about now you're missing the Athlings. And the truth is that nobody thinks about historians when they name their kids. So here we are with Hakon, son of Sigurd, son of Hakon. Anyway, so when Sigurd was killed and his son Hakon survived, it doesn't look like he took the death of his father all that well. And so he went about conspiring with another of Greycloak's enemies, King Harald Bluetooth. And together, they tricked Greycloak into coming to Denmark in about 971. When he arrived, there were assassins waiting for him. And thus ended the reign of King Harald Greycloak. The two surviving sons of Eric Bloodaxe attempted to fight to retain control of Norway, but were soon defeated by Hakon Sigurdsson. And following this victory, King Harald Bluetooth of Denmark once again asserted power over Norway. Only this time, he did it through the new ruler of Norway, Hakon, son of Sigurd, son of Hakon. The influence that Bluetooth had over Scandinavia was extreme. In fact, he's even credited with establishing the Yams Vikings, an elite force of the most experienced and skilled Vikings of the age, who were headquartered at their fortress at Yamsburg. In many ways, King Harald Bluetooth was the undisputed badass of the region. 
but he was also a practical king who was dealing with the cold, hard realities of the era. You see, Denmark was pressing up against the Christian lands of the south. And for about 200 years, since the days when Charlemagne massacred thousands of unarmed Saxons, the Scandinavians had known how much danger these Christians posed. Especially if you weren't Christian. They had surely noticed that these Christian leaders had been increasingly using faith as an excuse for invasion and war. It was a danger that couldn't be ignored. And for Harold, it was a terrible one. Because it wasn't like there was just some random Christian sitting on his border. Right across his border was the Holy Roman Emperor Otto the Great. That alone made holding to the old ways an incredibly risky bet. Otto had already been quite a problem for Denmark, and it was a problem that didn't appear to be going away. And let me be clear here. Otto the Great had Charlemagne written all over him. He was even blessed and crowned by the Pope. He was following all the right steps. And I'm sure that Bluetooth was worried that even if Denmark continued to pay tribute to Otto, which it had been doing, there was still a significant possibility that this emperor might change his mind and decide to deliver the word of God to the Danes at sword point. So he started to look at Christianity. But that's just the stick. There's also the carrot. You see, Christianity offered authority. And sure, Harold Bluetooth could claim that he was a descendant of Ragnar Lothbrok, but that wasn't a guarantee on the right to rule, as many Scandinavian kings had discovered shortly before they were overthrown or killed. All the line of Ragnar offered was prestige. Christianity, on the other hand, taught that kings drew their right to rule from God himself. And if your right to rule rested in the hands of God, and God alone, then what could a mere man do to challenge that? Even other kings didn't have the ability to take something from God. The Christian approach to rule was about as close to a regnal insurance policy as you could get. Now, you and I know that this concept of the divine right of kings didn't stop people from fighting over thrones, crowns, and virtually anything else. But that wasn't part of the sales pitch. And if you were King Harold Bluetooth, a man who had seen multiple kings meet untimely ends at the hands of their rivals, a man who had occasionally been the reason for that untimely end himself, well, you might start to think that it was only a matter of time before someone did the same thing to you. Finally, there was the issue of markets. The Scandinavians of this era, and Vikings in particular, are generally known for raiding. That's where they live in the popular imagination. And that's not without cause. In their sagas, the violent exploits of the Scandinavian nobility are lauded and spoken about in heroic terms. But we would do well to remember that those are sagas. What they are is a reflection of a certain type of storytelling but it's not necessarily a reflection of the day-to-day -day reality in Scandinavia. It does appear that violence was a part of Scandinavian life, but it wasn't the point of Scandinavian life. Even for the crews that went to Viking, the violence wasn't the point. Raiding was a means to an end. What they were after was wealth, not raw destruction. Wealth. And that meant that at their core, these were traitors. Traders who sometimes stole the things that they were trading, but traders nonetheless. And if you wanted access to the best markets, you wanted to trade with the Christians, because they had access to Constantinople. There's also the simple fact that Christianity was now the religion of many of the most powerful and sizable civilizations in the region, 
And that desire to keep up with appearances can be one hell of a motivator. And in the end, Harold Bluetooth was making the same calculation that we've seen numerous Anglo-Saxon kings make. He was working out whether the advantages of Christianity outweighed the drawbacks. And much like King Edwin of Northumbria and King Athelbert of Kent and many others, he came to the conclusion that conversion made political and economic sense. So in 965, Harold was baptized and became Christian. Now his father, King Gorm, had been staunchly pagan, and he appears to have been given a massive and lavish ship burial at Yelling. But curiously, when it was opened by archaeologists, they discovered that it was empty. There was no body in there. But when they later excavated the foundations beneath the old church in the area, they found a bag woven with golden thread that had been buried during this era, and it contained the bones of an unknown person. These discoveries have led archaeologists to believe that following Harold's conversion, he moved his father's bones and gave him a Christian burial. By posthumously converting his father, Harold's line would have had yet another connection to the Christian divine right of kings. Furthermore, if he really did believe in his new god, then moving his father's bones could have been an act of faith as well. Though, that being said, I'm not sure how much dishonoring your father's religious wishes jives with the whole honor thy father and mother thing, but details. And so, by about 971, the most powerful monarch in Scandinavia was also Christian. And commemorating this fact is a massive runestone that states, quote, King Harold ordered this monument to be built in the memory of Gorm, his father, and Tyra, his mother. And then, on the other side, it says, quote, Harold, who conquered for himself the whole of Denmark and Norway and made the Danes Christian, end quote. And that's where the meat of this stone really is. He conquered Denmark, Norway, and made the Danes Christian. That's impressive. But for as bold as that statement is, there's some problems with it. The first is that we have archaeological evidence that there were quite a few Christians that had been openly living in Denmark for over a century by the time that Harold converted. So not exactly the single-handed conversion that the stone implies. Furthermore, the tales that come out of later accounts of Harold Bluetooth's reign give the impression of a king who took a more careful approach to converting his people. Even though there were Christians who were living within his kingdom, and he appears to have wanted his subjects to convert, and thus believe in the divine right of kings, he doesn't appear to have been ignorant of the dangers involved. I mean, people are loath to give up their cultures and traditions, and Christianity is famously exclusionary. Look at it this way. If Harold had declared that everyone had to worship Thor, then that wouldn't have been that big of a deal, because people could have worshipped Thor in addition to their own deities. But Christianity doesn't tolerate other gods. So upon Harold's conversion, and thus the official conversion of Denmark, those outward signs of the old gods would have to be cast aside, or at least hidden. And that's no minor matter. Think about your favorite holidays. For most holidays, there might be religious implications that are tied up with them. And if you have faith, there might be a lot of religious implications for you. But even if you're relatively agnostic, you probably have rather fond memories and traditions that you've built around holidays. And they're things that aren't necessarily religious. They might remind you of your childhood, or times with family, or warm feelings of friendship. There's something comforting about holidays and traditions. 
But now imagine that Theresa May or Donald Trump announced that they just met with a priest and they decided that you couldn't celebrate that holiday anymore. How well do you think you'd take that? Well, based on some of the later accounts, it looks like some of the people in Denmark didn't take it very well at all. For example, we're told one story of an argument that broke out in front of King Harold himself. The assembled nobles were angry, and while they didn't deny the existence of Harold's god, they wanted to convince the king that there were other, more powerful gods as well. Gods who'd actually accomplished bigger and better miracles than Christ. And they began pointing out the various wonders that had been performed by these gods. And we're told that rather than responding, King Harold Bluetooth just listened quietly. Until eventually, a priest named Popo spoke up. And Popo told the Danes that there was only one god, which he then named as the three members of the Trinity, which was a needlessly confusing inclusion in my opinion. And he then told them that any wonders or miracles that they might have seen weren't the result of these other gods. There weren't other gods. And instead, they were the work of, and this is true, trolls. And as weird as that explanation is, particularly coming from the mouth of a priest, that story gives us a sense of the delicate balance that Harold was trying to strike. He wanted his people to convert. He wanted the authority that Christianity could give to his line. But if he pushed them too hard, then he could find himself thrown out of power, or worse. So, he was letting the priest come up with some DreamWorks-style fanfic to settle the matter for him. Neat. And then, right in the middle of all this cultural mess that he was dealing with, Emperor Otto the Great died. And this was important for Bluetooth, because the Danes had been paying tribute to Otto for as long as anyone could remember. But now, the emperor was gone, and his son, Otto II, had taken control of the empire. And I wonder if it was just raw opportunism, and the assumption that this new emperor wouldn't be able to hold on to power. Or maybe it was an attempt to please some of his nobles who were troubled by Harold's conversion, and prove that he was still a Scandinavian king, even though he had now converted to Christianity. Whatever it was, King Harold Bluetooth of Denmark and his ally King Hakon Sigurdsson of Norway marched into Germany in 974. But within a matter of months, their forces were repelled. This campaign was an unmitigated disaster for him. Furthermore, the defeat was so bad that it resulted in Harold's grip on Norway weakening, because at this same time, Hakon had stopped paying taxes to Denmark. Possibly trying to regain some semblance of control, Harold Bluetooth summoned Hakon to Denmark, and he demanded that the Norse king be baptized. And although Hakon followed the old ways, he did submit to the baptism. And I wonder if, having been battered only recently in their fight with the Germans, he was doing this simply because he wanted to avoid another war. But even if that was his desire, everyone has their limits. And when Harold Bluetooth demanded that Hakon bring some priests home with him to convert Norway to Christianity, he had enough. And it wasn't long afterwards that Hakon left Denmark without the priests, and Norway broke off from Denmark. Things were turning against Bluetooth. His combined Norse-Dane invasion had failed and weakened his position in the region. This conversion, which was likely intended to provide a sort of safeguard on his hold of power, was proving to be more of a problem than anything else. It had cost him his ally, Hakon Sigurdsson, 
and there were numerous Danish jarls who resented the forced conversion and were on the verge of open rebellion. And we know this because one of them was Harold's own son, Swain Forkbeard. So, by the time that Athelred took the throne of England in 978, Scandinavia, which had recently been largely under the thumb of one man, Harold Bluetooth, was now racked with internal divisions and was fracturing. Under Bluetooth, Norse and Danish activity was largely focused east along the Baltic. But Bluetooth wasn't as powerful as he once was. And as the social order began to collapse, those who still followed the old ways were breaking from his control and seeking their fortunes elsewhere. Because remember, going a Viking was a means to an end. It was generally a response to cultural and economic incentives. And if you were a Scandinavian who didn't want to bend to the changes that were taking place in Denmark, or if you were a noble who wanted to make a name for yourself, well, raiding might be an appealing option. And without a firm hand directing the crews, who knows where they might go? They might even be scoping out a kingdom that was facing internal problems due to a recent regicide and the elevation of a politically weakened child king. Which brings us to the Chronicle's entry for 980, just one year after Athelred was crowned king. Quote, In this year was Southampton plundered by a pirate army, and most of the population slain or imprisoned. And the same year was the Isle of Thanet overrun, and the county of Chester plundered by the pirate army of the north." End quote. And I'm sure they thought it was a sign of God's fury. But in reality, it was just a sign that Bluetooth had dropped. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com, and you can join any of our communities in the community section of thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.